What's up, guys? JD here, and on today's show, I am talking with Adam Robinson, CEO of Retention.com. Adam is doing something kind of crazy. He is building this really cool company, $20 million a year business that he owns, no VC backing, no investors. He built this company, and he is sharing it as he builds it. He is sharing all the details, the revenues, the profits, the staff, the warts, the good, the bad, everything about this company he talks about on LinkedIn. In fact, it's kind of crazy. Next year, he talks about this in the episode. He's going to be releasing his calendar. So if you want to just eavesdrop, you want to be a fly on the wall in a meeting that Adam's having with his executive team, for example, go to his calendar, click join, and you can just sit in and listen. Kind of wild, all kinds of crazy things. One thing about this episode, we do drop a lot of jargon. So we talk about SaaS and ARR and different software and whatever. It doesn't really matter. So if you're knee deep in e-commerce or software, you'll understand it. And if you're not, you won't, but it makes no difference. Honestly, the conversation is great either way. That's coming up in just a sec. If you like what I'm dropping, if you're liking the podcast, make sure to go to johndavids.com, subscribe to my newsletter, follow me across social. I got a book coming out in 2024. You guys are going to love that. All the information is going to be at johndavids.com. Of course, follow me across social, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. Here is Adam Robinson. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here, John. I've been following you for, I don't know, like seven months now. And you're one of these guys that I will sort of see on my LinkedIn feed every few days. And I'll be like, oh man, this is a great read. I'll share it with my team. And and you're just sort of popping up uh, with really, really high quality content. So I got to ask the first question though, retention.com. How did you get that URL? I paid $800,000. <laughs> Are you serious? $800,000. Yeah. Turns out if well, you're willing to spend $800,000 on a word, you can get most words. How uh, much? Yeah, so like the, story, yeah. the story of the, so like my company was called Get Emails and all it was doing was we had this pixel, you put it on a website, Somebody hit the website, they wouldn't fill out a form, we could resolve that to an email. So like that was get emails. I started it four years ago. And like, you know, self-serve SaaS, didn't know who the ideal customer profile was. Two years in, I thought it was going to be like this kind of like large affiliate sender and like kind of sketchy publishers. That was who I thought the market was going to be. And we started prospecting e-commerce companies two years in. And they were just so much like the business started growing like crazy. It was, it it grew, but it was just high churn. So it got stuck for like nine months, like a year and a quarter in. And then we started prospecting e-commerce and started growing again a lot. And the reason it grows is because they're lower churn, right? Like that's just SaaS. Like if you have ultra high churn, it gets stopped. Kind of how big you can get is a function of your churn rate in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's it's the same as having a leaky bucket. You can fill the bucket up if they got a lot of holes in it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then we realized at year three and a half that econ- we should only focus on e-commerce companies. And there was other stuff we could do for them that was very tangential that used our identity technology. So it was kind of get emails was no longer entirely appropriate even. So like, what, that wasn't the what only does thing retention do today then? 
So like retention's not like a perfect word for what we do because e-commerce defines retention as post-sale getting them to buy again. That is what it is. Like if you've ever heard of a company called Clavio, like they should be called retention.com because like they are this email automation and SMS automation platform. What we're doing is not that. It's just, you know, we help people acquire emails, right? With that first thing I was telling you about. And then for their abandoned cart, abandoned product, abandoned browse, abandoned checkout, there's this big problem where Apple is making it harder to track people. And we basically like fight this ratcheting down on the cookie. We have a way to expand the audiences of all of those those flows. And they're like the best emails people can send. So that's what retention.com does. It's not, again, it's not the perfect name for that, but it was, it's close, right? We help people retain their web traffic and I could get it, right? So like, it was like this huge name with, and, and like, I kind of had this view the whole time I've been doing this. It's like, when I explain to you my core product, it is implicitly untrustworthy in its explanation. It's like, I can get email addresses of people who don't fill out forms. It's like, well, what else are you doing then? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, why would I let you put your pixel on my site if you can do that? What other crimes uh, are you committing? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, so I viewed the, and I think correctly, I viewed the benefit of having built, you know, doing these major moves to like try to build like a huge brand or at least the perception of a huge brand as benefiting me a lot. That's really interesting. So when when you, when you actually set out to buy this domain retention.com was the thought process, like I need to build a brand and the solution to that is a one word domain or did that just like take us through, through that thought process? It was so, so by the way, like I wouldn't go raise money to do that. I would have never like taken venture capital to buy this. Like this also coincided at this point where we thought we could like, so I had six employees and we were like at 10 million ARR and not, it was all inbound, not spending any money on marketing, massive cash generating machine. Like it was only one or two months cash flow to buy this, Wow, which makes it easier to stomach, right? It's still a lot, it's not like it's I'm not burning 300 grand a month and I'm like, oh, we should also do this, right? I would have never done it if that were the case. But I wanted to do a bunch of things that would add a huge amount of credibility to what we were doing that would facilitate in the Shopify ecosystem a mass market adoption of our technology, which we were nowhere close, right? So like this was a tool for that. My yeah. founder brand was a tool for that. I actually thought those two things together were the quickest way to get awareness and trust built, which is why I made huge investments into them. I mean, I spent so much money on founder brand content creation. And uh, like, I don't even, it's a weird thing to say, like, I don't, I find it artistically satisfying. Like I can write something now and I know that it's good and it's going to do well on LinkedIn when I write it and it feels good. But like, I don't want to be, Gary V. Like, this is not, you know what I mean? If, if this did not have a direct benefit to my business, I would not be out there making. I want to talk about your, your, your founder brand. Known, right. Like, yeah, I just think there's this un, the, the world is set up in a way where, and I use video too. Like this is, there's this unbelievable power that like the Kardashians understand that like Alex Hermosi understands, like there is a trust building 
apparatus, which is why these like influencers and info product guys, they've like that, that's the business model that's kind of emerged from Facebook. Like the people attach products to it, but like, really it's just like the world it's set up for you to just get in front of people and say stuff. And if you can get in front of people and say stuff enough, it is impossible for your status not to raise in their head, period, full stop. Like I deeply believe that. You know, when people think you're famous, when you're actually famous, that's cool. But when your customer even just thinks you're famous because you're famous in their peer circle, mm-hmm. then that that's cool too. And and the examples you gave are, are great. I want to come back to Founder Brand in a second, but but go back because there's so much to cover with even just the early things you said. So you built get emails into a $10 million annual recurring revenue company. Can you yeah. talk about how you even just did that? Because building a $10 million company for anybody would be like the biggest thing. So how did you do that? (laughs) So that was, we hit 10 million ARR in the middle of last summer and we had six people. We're now at 22 and we have 55. So like, okay, but how (laughs) we, yeah, we, we did a major transition, which we can talk about later or not. I don't care. I actually get asked that question a lot. How did you do it? Right? So before I start explaining, I'm launching a new product to a new market now that is a totally separate technology. It sort of does the same thing as the product for e-commerce does, but we're doing it for software companies. We're doing it for B2B. And it's on-site, person-level website visitor resolution, right? And it's like going to close the loop on account-based marketing where somebody hits... So anyway, I actually made a docu-series last year about building my company. You can go to my LinkedIn and you can like go through some posts and watch it. I had zero creative input. I I paid for it. But this girl named Christy made 18 10 minute episodes about what it's like to go from six to 55 employees. And we did it in like 60 days. It was terrible and insane. And, you know, basically she like did this amazing job of showing what my life was like living through that transition in my business. And it was like Netflix quality. So We get done and like, we're about to be, you know, we're about to be like done with this journey together. And like, I read the comments on LinkedIn when I post, the problem with it is it's not properly contextualized for LinkedIn and we didn't market it properly on YouTube. Right. So like, it was just this weird in-between thing, but like I wanted to do it because I was experimenting kind of like retention.com was a big bet. I made this other bet. We get done with this. And like, you read the LinkedIn comments, people are like, I've never seen business content like this. Like, there's a documentary called The Bear on Hulu. Not, not a documentary. There's a drama called The Bear on Hulu that's much better than this, but that's like got real actors in it. And you know what I mean? It's like... It, Love The Bear. It's not real business content, right? It's, people are like, I can't believe how good this is, right? And like this girl, she basically followed my life for a year and then made 18 story arcs that were 10 minutes long that were kind of non-sequential, but, but related, if that makes sense. It's a reality uh, show. Exactly. So I get done with that and I'm like... That and my willingness to like build in public, I post our financials. I like am super transparent about like what we're doing well, what we're fucking up or whatever. And people can't believe it. Like it just gets unbelievable engagement on LinkedIn. And I think it really helps us. And I get asked this all the time. They're like, how did you do when when they figure out that we got to actually, we got to 12 million ARR before we hired anybody. And the same six people who launched the company were there at 12 million ARR. And that's fucking crazy that we like (laughs) just did that. (laughs) So like, I'm like, we're about to do it again. I'm going to go. I hired this girl full time to do a, a type of immersive experience into this building a startup like has never been done before. 
So for, I don't even know what that means yet, but it's like instead of 18 episodes over the course of a year, it's like daily. It's like, well, you're, you're doing daily V. I mean, that, that it's, it's a different, exactly. So I just for context, like daily V is the same as keeping up with the, with the Kardashians, which is the same as the Jessica Simpson. Well, like, you know, yeah. newlyweds, like it's all the same model just over and over. Right. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to allow people, I'm going to make my calendar public and I'm going to allow people to join any zoom call. If our competitors want to come to our executive meeting once a week, they can. All right. What is the deal with this <laughs> radical? Okay. One second. We gotta, you're throwing me off because I still want to know the answer, by the way, to how you build a $10 million AR company, yeah. but let's, let's switch for a second. What is the deal with this radical, almost unnecessary transparency? So my goal, and by the way, the, the product that we're offering is free for anyone and everyone unlimited use. So long as they use it in the web app and when they want to start pushing the data to the autom- you know, to automate it in any way, they have to start paying us. So there's a big community in educational play a lot of times when you have an offer like that. And I have an offer like that. It's like, it all works together. It's like, I want a freemium offer because I think that I can create viral content and it can also be educational in this way and like build a big community around it. I know because of like my LinkedIn or whatever, and those can all kind of reinforce each other, right? What I want with this stuff and like something like I just told you is like, like I view that as like a piece of art that someone will look at once. They won't stay for long because it's boring as shit what I do all day. I'll be honest with you. Like you don't want to listen to my fucking calls. Like, <laughs> our, it, like I would be shocked if someone could make it through the hour and a half of our executive meeting. It's shit no one cares about. It's like, I'm not going to let people listen to us talk about our staff if it's bad, you know, and I'm not going to like, there's like two other things I would protect, protect related to our business. 98% of what I talk about is droning on about things that are not important, right? To not important, but, but is it competitive in nature? Like you just said, my competitors can listen in. If, you know, if the Starbucks board were having a meeting, the board of, you know, Duncan couldn't just listen into that. Right. No, but, but I think it's so shocking that I think the awareness, so my goal for all of this stuff is to make it so that the people in the target market, which this time around, unlike last time, I wasn't in the target market. Like I'm not an e-com guy. I'm a software guy. I am the target this time. So like, I'm trying to make this so that everyone like me has to talk about it. They're like, can you fucking believe what that guy's doing over there? Like he made his calendar public. Like, watch, you can go click, like, let's go listen to his call right now. <laughs> right? Like. It's, it's a bunch of different, and, and like, it's unbelievable that I'm just giving this product away too. Like once you use it, it is incredible that we would just give that for free, unlimited use to people, right? So like, I'm trying to like make such an unbelievable thing. And it's more than just the product now. Like this is my whole view of old way, new way. It's like not, like the product is the most important thing, but like so much more goes into a company that makes it than just the product. There's a, yeah, it's you know, I was gonna like say, it's, it's this whole it's, thing. That, it's the brand. It's 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 everything it's about it. It's not just the final thing you're buying. The, so I think that I've just practiced enough with this content stuff the last year that I think this combination of things will be so unbelievable that people literally have to be like, dude, have you seen what this maniac at Redemption.com is doing? He's giving away this fucking product, which is like the most valuable B two B thing that there is, and he's like 
so transparently working in public that you can listen to all his calls. <laughs> and so the, the, the transparency is the thing. Like it, it's, it's like thing uh, to just get people. Yeah. It's, it's to help spread the idea virus. It's like when somebody, I mean, it's sort of a crazy comparison, but when, when a sex video gets leaked and it's like, oh, this actress, this person, nude photos, nude this, whatever. Yeah. And, and like that in itself is kind of a scandalous bad thing, but the result of it is a lot of attention and a lot of, you know, basically success, you know, for the next three decades for this person. Yeah. There is a similar voyeuristic kind of element to this. Yeah. A crazy thing is happening. Let's all watch it. And then, oh, yeah. by the way, the result is we all love Adam yeah. and we all love retention.com. So let's go back for one second. And it, it doesn't have to be a long story. I just kind of want to know the beats. What, what was your origin? Like you started where you did what? How did you get to a $10 million company? Yeah. So I graduated college in 2003. I worked at Lehman Brothers as a credit default swap trader for 10 years. Nothing to do with this at all. My roommates started Vimeo, the video sharing website in my apartment. So like I watched that whole thing happen. And then the financial crisis happened. And like I'd saved a little bit of money. And I'm like, I want to do what those guys are doing. Like, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. And I got, you know, the market was shrinking, all sorts of regulation was happening. So it was a really easy time to quit, you know. And yeah, I started like the really long and hard journey to becoming an entrepreneur, whatever the fuck that means. Like, it li- <laughs> you know, it, it is nothing. I can't even describe how little every skill that I have now has to do with any skill that I had at that job. Didn't pay myself a dollar for five years. It was terrible. And somehow I ended up in the email marketing space, like with this dinky little email newsletter app that was like kind of scraping the breadcrumbs off of the constant contact table, if anyone's ever heard of that. But it's like customers were like non-e-commerce baby boomer female, you know, it was just like, if there's like a worse group of people to build software for, I'm not aware of it. Like don't care about <laughs> features, can't afford anything. You know what I mean? It's, it's horrible. So worst customer. Um, yeah. And, and meanwhile, it's a terrible space because it's super mature. And like MailChimp was just this, un- I have the mo- like MailChimp and Klaviyo, I think were two of the best companies in SaaS that have existed to date. And they were both in this space. Like MailChimp won the game. And then Klaviyo came along and won the game again after it had already been won by MailChimp, which is incredible. Like just unbelievable. So yeah. Clavio really, was, just, just to be clear though, from my understanding, Clavio is, is a Shopify. It's the e-commerce Shopify Well, that's app. how like, they won the game again. But MailChimp was trying to win that game. And then something happened between them and Shopify and they sort of backed off. And Clavio the whole time was, was developing. They basically charged twice as much as MailChimp and had better upmarket features. And then they, they captured an agency ecosystem through you know, a set of incentives that MailChimp's business wasn't set up to capture. Yeah. And they're worth $10 billion. It's amazing. MailChimp, so you was, saw this. MailChimp, MailChimp was like when Clavio was at 3 million ARR, MailChimp was at 300 selling the same thing. Like it's really it, with a free offer for 95% of the market. It's really hard to compete with that. But Clavio went and built the best thing for Shopify. You're right. And so what, what was your zero to $10 million Hack. So, so and, anyway, and, and was it a quick growth or was it like, like really just slow grind? I got that the way the email marketing space is set up, the one that I was in, there's like, no joke, there's those two or three big guys and there's like a hundred vendors who are all stuck at two or three million. Cause like you can kind of, 
it's not that hard to build the technology because like there's SendGrid and MailGun, like you can, they take care of the actual mail sending for you. So you can build a UI and then you can kind of go out there and capture some customers, you know, but like actually creating a, a customer acquisition flywheel in that space is very hard. These guys have bid up all the paid channels. They have better brands, they have better product and moving faster than you. It's like, it's like really hard. But I had like a 3 million ARR, 50% EBITDA margin business that was like slowly shrinking. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do to differentiate versus MailChimp, basically. I'm like, what is MailChimp not doing? And I tried a couple things that were just horrible failures, like 12-month bets. In the middle of one of those experiments, I heard about this identity stuff, and I heard that it might be possible to identify someone on your website and connect it to an email address without that person filling out a form. And just knowing the email space, I was like, man, I feel like if I could sell that, I could sell that to anybody with a website. Full stop. You know, so it just ear to the ground, try to figure out how to do it because it's really weird. It's like a in between ad tech and MarTech. Like it's like in the banner ad anonymous world, but also in the sort of email PII world. So yeah, it takes a long time to figure out how to do for me, at least it did. And Eventually, I figured it out. I thought it was going to be a feature in the email business that allowed me to actually differentiate and grow it. People were using the signing up, using the identity feature, downloading the file, and like putting it in Clavio and saying it was awesome. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, okay, this is not the right way to do this. I should spin it out, connect it to everything, and then punt the email app. And that's what I did. And then like, kind of like an early indicator of how it's just a really novel idea in the B2C world. In the B2B world, this value prop of website visitor identity has been waterboarded so much to people through Clearbit and Sixth Sense and Lead Feeder and like whatever else that they're not like, oh, that's incredible. But like on the DC side, like at the time in 2019, when we launched this, people were like, you're a magician. Like I've never heard of anything like that before. So Month one, I ran $5,000 of ads and I got 10,000 of MRR. And I was like, this is incredible. I got to sell this wow. email app. I got to get my people onto this and we got to try to grow it. And you it was like really, what's that? Six employees. Yeah. So like I had, I had a suspicion that this might be the way that it go, that, that it went. So I had, I hired a group of engineers on the other business so that I could bring over the core six to this one, if that made sense. And when we sold it, it's like that company had 10 and we had six, if that makes sense. So you sold that email app? Yeah, we sold the email app to private equity. They, they just rolled it up into like their operation. It was totally fine. Uh, and they still like it. They really like the business. And yeah, it was, it was kind of like these ads were working incredibly well and they were like paying off the day of, and this was during COVID. So we couldn't go to trade shows or anything, which was like, my thing was like before COVID, I was like, if this thing takes off, I'm going to make everyone move to Austin where I had just moved and we're going to like do this the right way. Quick break so I can tell you about DemandScope. DemandScope is a performance marketing agency that helps you acquire new customers, keep them hooked, and scale profitably. Google ads, Instagram ads, TikTok ads, landing pages, email, and more. There are so many ways to get customers today, but if you're not doing it right, you'll end up blowing a whole bunch of money. And that's why I launched DemandScope. We're here to make sure you're doing it right. Get more customers today and scale effectively 
Learn more at demandscope.co. That's demandscope.co. Thank God COVID happened, and we all know that remote companies can work because here I am sitting alone. You know, I have 55 employees and none of them live in Austin, which I prefer. But yeah, it was kind of like a super fat, there was like a really quick payback period on these ads, but super high churn. So like the journey from, you know, it got to like a million ARR in six months. The churn was so high and it was like 15% per month or something, right? Mm. Like it was so high that it just stopped growing at like 250K or something. And I was over it. I was like burnt out after, because this went on for six or nine months of it just being stuck. Yeah, I was totally over it. But then when we started prospecting e-commerce companies and the churn was much lower, with the change we're making, it's getting better and better every month, but like it's still high, which is annoying. But uh, it was much lower. It's been on sort of a nice trajectory since then. So then, e-commerce is still the 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 ICP, it's the main the only people we sell that product to now. And now it's just a matter of going up market in that e-commerce space because the tech works better for people who are bigger than smaller. So like that was kind of a huge mistake this year. We thought people were bigger than they were that we were selling to. We oversold people. It was a disaster. I mean, it was just like, oh my God, like we're going to get to 50 million ARR by the end of the year. And then like three months later, a wave of contraction and cancellation, like I could have never been prepared for it. Just total misery. It was so undoing who, the, the incentives we put in place that were causing that is fucking terrible. Who, who is the ideal customer right now? It's an e-commerce company with what kind of revenue or what kind of size? With that product, I would say ideal. The median customer and the ideal customer are not the same. There are not many ideal customers, which is the problem. Like the Shopify ecosystem has two and a half million stores. So like we had been focused on Shopify this year. There's two and a half million stores. Of that, there's only about 50,000 that have 500K annual revenue and higher. There's only about 10,000 that have 3 million annual revenue and higher. And that's the shape of the pyramid. Our best customers have 50 to 150 million of revenue, right? There's a hundred of them, right? In the Shopify <laughs> ecosystem. It just creates this dynamic where like we're amplifying the throughput going through these businesses, if that makes sense. So like if there's a lot of cart abandonment happening, we will lift that amount of capture of like retargeting money made off of that flow by one to 200%, regardless of how much is going through. So a brand like Dr. Squatch, who a lot of people have heard of, they might have $500,000 a month going through their cart flow. A brand that's making $3 million a year might have $30,000, might have literally $3,000 a month going through it. So it's just as easy for us to make $500,000 for Dr. Squash as it is to make $3,000 for a small, small brand, if that makes sense. And, and are you charging? You can't charge linearly, right? I can't charge Dr. Squash a million dollars a month. They won't pay it. They'll pay 20 grand. And the little guy would pay 500 bucks, right? So it's, it ends up being expensive for little guys and super cheap for big ones from an ROI perspective. So the whole struggle for us has been how little is too little and what other characteristics can we identify in advance where we can disqualify people who are not going to make it before they make it in turn. So yeah. 
Let me, I, I've got a couple questions there. So let me give you a comparison. So in my world, like I've, I, I own a few marketing agencies and in our world, you know, we'll target companies with, let's say 10 million plus in revenue and we'll have a lot of inbound where clients or someone will have like 200,000 in revenue and, but, but they want to work with us. The problem is if I'm charging this guy $10,000 a month for a certain level of service, I can't charge you $600 a month for that same right. service, which you, which would be the equivalent. And that's what you want to pay, but it's yeah. like, I, I can't. And so you've got to figure out, okay, who am I selling this yeah. to? How much am I charging? So in that case, so I'm guessing, are you, are you charging based a percentage of the money or it's just a flat fee period? It's kind of a flat fee, but it's based on kind of how big they are. Got it. Okay. Okay. You know? Yeah. And that, that, that sort of makes sense because it's also yeah. how much bandwidth, how much whatever, how much of our resources are you using, but you can't charge the $10 million company the same as you charge the $100,000 yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. Can't work. But it creates um, this weird dynamic where the little guys are, are not, it's just expensive for them and it's cheap for the big guys. Yeah. And you know what's so crazy is that even as you're telling the story, I'm sure people are thinking like, even with all these problems, you've still built a $20 million a year company and it's getting bigger. So even, even, even companies that work have warts. I mean, I think that, I think that it's always a struggle. That's just life. (laughs) You know, even when it's going great, it still sucks in a lot of ways, but that's what makes it meaningful. Yeah, I wouldn't have traded this year for for anything, but it was like there were some really intense periods of pain. Like we had a a VP sales quit when we had 15 people. And like, I thought that the team was way too big the whole time, but like they were just like hiring salespeople because they're like, oh, you know, the business will catch up and this person needs to get the speed. So instead of replacing that VP sales, we downsized the team to four and the woman who had become the CRO just ran this, you know, ran the team. So you, you, know, you had 15 sales reps. Accelerated. <laughs> yeah. You, you, know, you, like, you had 15 sales reps and now you're down to four. Yeah. And, and we're growing faster from a higher base than when we had 15. It's wild. I think people like really want to hate on inbound driven businesses, but I think there is this rate at which the activity that we are all doing in the world is bringing customers to us. And there's a number of salespeople that we can have to where it's like a perfect balance where they feel like they're not overwhelmed, but they're like busy all day crushing it. This is the greatest product of all time. Like, dude, if you don't buy this right now, I have like three other people I got to deal with. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a perfect balance of people with volume coming through. And then it's so tempting to be like, well, why don't, you know, why don't we have a full stack AE doing outbound? You know, and it's like, this is my deeply held belief. I think that outbound sales for the most part is garbage and you can capture the demand is not being created by those people. If you employ people to go out there and book demos, they are a very large part getting in the way of activity that was coming to you anyway, created by other activities. So you're just growing this stuff. And, and I think my LinkedIn posts get thousands of likes because I say this shit and people are like, you know what? It's, I'm like, I challenge anybody. Did you rapidly scale a BDR team in 2023 and see your demos go up proportionally? <laughs> or <laughs> is what happened? You're like, oh, I have a team of three. They're booking three demos each. I'm getting nine per month. I'm going to grow that team to 10. And you got 10 per month. What happened? 
you put more people getting in the way of demos that were coming to you anyway, that were coming from other stuff that you were doing besides BDR. So I I get all this. And by the way, I'm on your side, but let me play devil's advocate for a second. What about the idea that you can't scale inbound? So, you know, getting people to call you and getting your phone ringing off the hook is awesome. But isn't that really kind of like a high class place to be for companies that that are doing a lot of things right? What if you're a business that just needs to go out there and and drum up new demand? I would pose the question, how would you truly drum up demand? If you think that that's happening by emailing someone, I would say that it's not. I would say that email is basically not a direct response channel anymore. It's like a banner ad. And you need to be doing enough, uh, like listen to the insanity that I'm talking about doing to launch this business in a second. Like you need to be doing enough stuff where people are getting hit from enough directions where eventually they either answer one of those emails that you sent, (laughs) right? Or they come to you in some other way. Right. right. The so email like, itself is not gonna is not gonna get me to buy it. I just don't even think it is actually the originating source of the demand. Look, if you're you know selling a million dollar per year unbudgeted tech and like your reps are taking people to a Lakers game, then yes, like that rep sitting next to somebody at a Lakers game and explaining to them about your software is creating that demand, right? What is not <laughs> is a team of reps sitting in Austin, Texas, sending out this shit through sales loft that like their boss is telling them that they should send. I think all of those people could be replaced with one gifted growth marketer. I truly believe that. I love this, man. This is, this is such uh, like, like, I just, I just, truth bombs. And, and no one's been able to prove it to me otherwise, right? Like, and yeah. I know, I, I just, I just look at what's happening in our business. It's like every situation's so different, right? But like, I'm, I have the option right now. I know my ultimate best customer for, I I don't know. In fact, I'll take a step back. It will probably be way off from the vision that I have because every business that I have started has been at this phase. My idea is that ultimately who we're building for in the future and who we're making most of our money off of is not this free user of this product. It's like, you know, a hundred to 500 person, lower mid market demand gen SaaS person. And we're providing not only website visitor identity, but like a database of first party signal, which is like website visitors, people engaging with your LinkedIn, people emailing your employees and people that you have met in the physical world in this data warehouse. And then we're providing an an every man's orchestration platform, which is easy to activate this first party data, which we're helping you collect in this one place, right? Where where do you see this? And I don't know if you have the vision today or if you're still thinking about it now, but where do you see retention.com slash the parent company of whatever you're building in like five years? Do you have that vision? Well, well I don't know. I mean, if I can pull this off, it's going to be a big company. If we're just selling people leads, it's going to be high churn and it won't be. But my whole point with this is I have the option of starting this in any way. Like, dude, my, my current business is 25% EBITDA margin. I have like... <laughs> $600,000 a month to throw at starting this new company. You, you have your I'm own trying, venture capital fund yeah, to yeah, fund these things. I'm literally trying to do it as lean as possible. I'm trying to do it in a way that I believe the world is set up to buy, which is just this, like how Slack grew, right? It's this thing that's so awesome and it's so free and people can use it for as long as they want to. Like, I don't know, like, I don't think people want to talk to fucking salespeople. Like, so 
you can't scale inbound, but I also say this in my LinkedIn post. I think there is a way that you can do this where you are sacrificing predictability, but you're doing it in so much more of a capital efficient way that it's worth the sacrifice, right? Like you, you basically what I'm saying is like, you should accept the fact, like there is a way, and if you're far down the road and you have investors and you know you don't believe in it, whatever, like the thing that I want to do is broadcast starting from zero that it can be done this way, right? You just have to get creative, but there is a way to where you can do this. And like, I'm going to have no idea how much we're going to grow next year ever in this business, but I don't give a fuck, <laughs> right? Like, why would it matter? Who, who does it matter to? You know what I mean? Like it matter, right? Like, like if I can like be banking millions of dollars, my co-founders are too. And we don't get tempted by this thing of like, oh, you know, we're 80% inbound. But like, if we added outbound to this, then and got it to like, you know, 80% outbound, then like we could go do X, Y, and Z. It's like, why? <laughs> you know, right. like, like you can't reliably scale inbound, but I think you can make your, me you can like, I'm always trying to make my megaphone bigger, you know, and like making the idea virus spread more. Right. And that's how I think a demand is actually created. And then I'm going to have machines that are capturing it for me rather than people. So with all that said, are you ever tempted to say, okay, I've got this cash machine ATM just squirting me with dollar bills every day. Why don't you just take that money, like put in the bank, put in the stock market and work, you know, three and a half hours a month? Or do you not want to do that? I don't think human beings were really set up to live that way. I think if most people truly like you got like the I think the most satisfied existence is a life of inspiration. And how do you define work is that you know what I mean? It's like, you got to have something filling your time. You, you know what I mean? It's like, so like filling your time, like, like it's a problem. Work solves a major problem. Like people who don't do shit are not happy. They, they are moping around wondering what the direct, we are not meant <laughs> to not have purpose. Right. So if it's you not work because you want to work. Yeah. Like if it's not this game, I would like go figure, I, I would try to find something to get, to go incredibly deep into and try to, you know, grow myself and have creative output in a way that is kind of challenging, you know, day in and day out or whatever. It, like I've done it. I've done, it hasn't only been stars. I like when, when business has been slow for me, I've gone and like learn languages and you know, whatever, learn to like sail or whatever. I think doing nothing is not a, I've just done it before. I know that it sucks, right? A lot <laughs> of people suck. haven't. So if you've never done it, then it's really tempting, but like, I don't, retirement is not a goal. So let me ask you an, another spin on that same question. Have you already secured your nut so that you're not going to be poor? Or, or are you actually putting it all back on the line every single month now? Me 10 years ago, if it looked at it now, would say yes. But like, I, you know, I have a family and like, it's just, I, I'm not, I'm not even living like a crazy life by any means, but it's just like, you know, you got a little house, you got a nanny, you know, you got like... Yeah. It adds you up. Like, it's, it's 130 degrees in Austin. You want to leave for four weeks. It's like all of a sudden all this shit piles up and, you know, it's just expensive. Life is expensive these days. The, the fucking government keeps printing money and making your dollars less and less valuable. It's, it's, uh, so I would not be comfortable if I just 
turned this off today, but my current income is not why I'm coming to work. You know what I mean? It's like, it's very it. separated from that. Like, like, yeah, it's going to be great to sell this someday or not for like however much, but like, I'm pretty detached. Like, it's not a goal. It's, it's not like I'm, I'm coming in every day because in 36 months, I'm going to get this exit and I perceive that my life is going to change when it happens or whatever. It's, you know what I mean? It's just... Did you yeah. ever have the VC? Like, were you converted? Because I that that was me. Like, I, I was like, oh, chasing the VC dream for a few years. Then I was like, oh, that's the dumbest thing ever. I'm going to do the total opposite now. Did you have the same journey? I luckily was able to fund my own first business through the money that I made trading. And my brother had an exit and sort of was a financial partner in it. So we were kind of our own VCs, which is just very different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like I was really into like the books that I was reading when I left finance and it was like Tim Ferriss, four hour work week and like the 37 signals guys, which is not popular anymore really, but they had this book called rework that of course I was just, you know, if, if you had put a coat and tie on and like gone to an office building for 10 years and gotten to work at six in the morning, like the dream that they were selling and Tim Ferriss also, it was just so, and I think that's why, you know, well, for a lot of reasons, that, like I, that, that was my goal, right? My first business actually was my goal. The problem was it was fucking shrinking, which <laughs> then I realized, like, I love what Y Combinator writes when they talk about starting startups and what are, what, what are important aspects of them. And I think that the 37 Signals guys in what they're selling, it misses a lot of it. But I think some combination of those two is great for me. Yeah, I had Jason Freed on episode 44. If anyone wants to go listen, he's the 37 Signals guy. That's that's really, I mean, there's so many schools of thoughts now and different people, you know, like there's the bootstrappers and there's the boring business people and there's the people that are raising $100 million rounds. But ultimately, I think that there's a lot more variety today where you can sort of pick and choose in terms of, hey, like what kind of business do you want to build and what kind of life do you want to have? And yeah. there are very different, very different paths you can go down. Yeah. And look, every situation is so different. I think like I got seduced. Thank God I didn't raise money to do it. But like I was sharing an, an office with Dave Roganmoser who started Jasper, which was this chat bot, you know, the, the guy still around. It's, it's nuts kicked in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like what it is now is it's like a like chat GT. GPT does not have a good collaboration suite. So like teams can't really use it. So they basically sell into mid-market and enterprise that technology. But like, man, they went, they, he was stuck at the same place I was, you know, like I was sitting in an office with these guys. Like I shared an office with them for two years before they started that company. We were all stuck at the same place, but I had two of these businesses and he only had one of them in my, both of mine were making money and his was burning 50 grand a month. And I was like, dude, like you should just whack everybody and start a couple more of these. And, you know, if you have like four businesses that are making 250 K a month and they're spitting off a hundred grand, like you, know, you and your founders are like, you know, you're spending the summer in Aspen, right? Like <laughs> that was what we thought. And then, you know, he started that thing and they went zero to 50 million AR in 12 months. They raised $200 million at a billion and a half. And the founders took off to a, a third of it, which is amazing. And it was like, after the thing had turned, but they still sort of got the peak deal. And then ChatGPT came out and like, 
you know, <laughs> breaks. Right. So like, yeah. but like while that was happening, I was like, Oh, like I should try push my business to like, see how far I could go, which is why I hired these people. I'm really glad I did now. And I'm really glad we're back. I'm back to believing that like, for me, like lots of EBITDA, <laughs> a, con- a growing, e- like, like one of these like dream private equity businesses of like, you know, 25% growth, 25% EBITDA margin. That's where I want to live in the long term. I mean, faster growth is always better, but like, that's like a dream scenario, especially when the numbers get larger, it just gets insane. It's like, it gets, it gets insane. And, and it's, if your revenue is secure and consistent, I mean, it's just a great life. And, and what I always say, like anytime people are like, oh no, but I want to go for a much bigger win. My thing is like, yeah, but then you have all the money you need to invest in all the projects you want to invest in, just like yeah. you're doing right now. You know, you, you don't need VCs because you have a VC. It's called yeah, retention.com. Like it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, I had this like, so we had our all hands yesterday which is like kind of all of the department heads presenting. It was an hour and a half. And I literally can't believe what they're doing. <laughs> you know, like it's just because I don't work on it every day. I have like, you know, I, I, I've been, I have not been working on that business. I, I spend two hours a week on it. You know, I have my one-on-one with the person who's running it. And then, you know, whatever, probably an hour a week on our executive calls about it. And then the other hour is, is this. And I just can't believe it. And I was talking to our head of people ops afterwards. And she's like, well, you built this team. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> like, like I, I only hired like, you know, I have the original six who are still around, but like, I only hired like two other people. Like, I, I don't know where these people came from. Like, you know what I mean? But, but it's just this most amazing thing that now it's like building itself. And, and like, I can go with Santosh, my COO, and like, we're just entirely focused on creating this new business, which has literally nothing to do with the other one. It's totally new tech and a totally new buyer base and a completely different go-to-market strategy, completely different sort of like onboarding. And, you know, it's, it's just crazy that it's, that it's there yet. That one's still just like grinding higher, you know, like just every month, a little bit better than last month. And so your, your CEO Santosh works with you on this new, on the new stuff and you have another leader running retention.com. Yep. Basically. I mean, I'm still called the CEO of it, but like, I don't, you know, like there is someone else who is, Diana is pretty much calling the shots. Well, listen, this is like, I could go on. I got a hundred more questions, but this is such a cool thing that you're building, literally building in public and sharing way too much information, but it's awesome. So where do, where, where should people go? Where can we find you? Yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best spot for now. There's going to be some amazing community stuff for this B2B thing. It's just not up yet. Like I'm getting this, there's like this community management platform called Circle that like we're we're trying to build out in this way that's just mind blowing to people. But I think LinkedIn's like the best spot for now. So just go check out Retention Adam at LinkedIn and he'll tell you everything you need to know. Retention Adam. Adam, thank you so much. This is awesome. Bring me up. You got it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, follow me on Twitter at Real John Davids. We'll see you next time.